0: Hello, hello, and welcome once again to the Secrets of the High Demand Coach. And I am here with yet another high demand coach, and that is the one and only Jay Halim Washington. He's a serial entrepreneur. He's a business coach, a commercial photographer, a motivational speaker, and a corporate trainer who's worked with international brands. Maybe you've heard of them: Nike, Save the Children, NFL, Amtrak, uh, the WNBA. And he's also a three-time best-selling author, including his latest book, Business Corner: What's Really needed to survive the entrepreneurial fight. Jay Halim. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, I'd love to introduce everybody to who you are and start with your story. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you were doing before you were a coach and how that led to starting your own coaching practice and why.
1: Oh man, thank you so much for having me here. Well, you know, I was in the entrepreneurial fight, <laughs> like like we talked about. And you know, me, I was born and raised in Norton, New Jersey. Um, I came up in the crack era, which everybody's making movies about now. And my family was hit hard, um, just like the people you see in the movies, every adult in my household, except for my grandmother was strung out on drugs. I was the first grandchild, so I had a choice to do something different, but I still was doing a little, you know, my way I made my money was a little nefarious, but that was all I saw at the time. So, you know, I was a good kid, went to school, played basketball, but how I made my money was just a little different. I became a felon in in my first year of college and um you know i finished school with great grades dean's list but i couldn't get a job because back in those days it just wasn't as you know lenient as it is now it's still rough on um ex-felons but it was hard then you know um and i lived in the south i lived in south carolina and they were not trying to hear none of that stuff so you know, um, I left there for a while, came back when the recession hit around Obama years, and I had to face it all over again. I was I, like, I forgot that I was a felon, so I got back there, and they threw it in my face. And um, I had to take an eight dollar an hour job just to feed my family. I had two kids at that time, young, and um, a year into that, I realized like, you you way better than this. You know, you are. You know, and not to knock somebody who's working that job, I took it because I'm not the one who's going to complain. I got to do something. But I had this camera that I um, I didn't like. I used to do uh, media work filming, but I didn't want to take the pictures. Everybody asked me to take pictures. I always said, no, I'm not a photographer. But I sold my camera. I was trying to attempt to sell my camera because we knew had money problems. I sold it to my pastor and my pastor gave it back to me two weeks later and uh-huh. said, God told him that I need to do something with it. Wow. So I went I went crazy about the camera after that and um, became a pretty dope photographer, I would say. <laughs> And um, what got me into the coaching space was I started working with the government. You know, I got introduced to a gentleman that worked for the city of Columbia, where I lived in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, I actually did the mayor's headshots, and through that, I met somebody from the city, and he said he asked me, he said, "Hey, do you know anything about working for the government?" I said, "No," and he told me about getting certifications and things of that nature. I did it, and I was just that just catapulted my business. I didn't know that the government paid photographers are people who use cameras over half a billion dollars a year. And wow. so I did very, very well with that, but, um, I started making acquaintances with people in the local government space and they were talking to me about, on um, supply diversity and how they were having a hard time meeting their quotas. Some mm. of them had 10%, 12% quotas. I never had a problem putting people in a room so I created, the, the I won't starve experience which is a, um this is my mantra i won't start of course, my brand now but um i created i won't stop experience where i brought a bunch of minority business owners to a workshop for them to have an opportunity to get make relationships and become certified with the local state and federal government it was extremely successful um we did it about eight times in south carolina we're still doing it to this day um, in South Carolina and the surrounding areas, we we've helped over six hundred businesses to become certified and do business with the government. And that's where my consultant and coaching space went. Because again, you can get certified, but that's just the beginning of it. You still mm-hmm. got a lot of work to do to actually maintain a business and do and be a, a successful contractor. That's yeah. where my coaching journey started.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. So if we fast forward into uh, well into the coaching journey now, what would you say is some of the most important work that you're doing for your clients?
1: Oh, man, you know, the education portion is everything because I, I have clients who are doing millions of dollars. Um, and then when Harris goes, you know, we all all the business that ebbs and flows and they, they never known about doing government contracting work. And they never knew how to scale their business, and most so have that situation where you don't have to worry about a contract for the next nine years wow. because you're working with the government. And because that's one of my that's my main niche. I'll go and get these businesses and go ahead and shore up their business even more with getting government contracts because they're already prepared. They have everything. They're just afraid to do the paperwork. <laughs> they don't know how to navigate when they say all the opportunities that they see on the list of things for the government to do. they don't know how to get there. So we help them navigate that space. Yeah. Um, So yeah, the education portion has been the best thing for me. I love to teach.
0: That's awesome. What would you say are some of the biggest challenges with getting, um, getting for-profit private businesses working in the public sector space?
1: Patience, you know, they want it right now. You know, the funny thing is I always tell them, I say the people that you're trying to um, sell are not entrepreneurs the government has their own time frame and they're not going to change it for you. I'm like We're not in the mafia breaking people's legs and making them give them a contract. It's the system. <laughs> you know, you got to get in the system and start letting it circulate. But once you get there, it's a blessing because, again, they're not entrepreneurs. They're not going through the certification list and saying, who's who certified for this? They If they know you and you got an under $100,000 contract, potential contract, they don't have to get no other bids. They already know you're going to call you. They're look for somebody else. He did a good job last time. Call them. And so it's a sweet deal um, when it comes to that. So yeah, it's just a patience. So getting them to understand that it's a system, this is the entrepreneurship, period. Yeah. But they yeah. want it right now.
0: <laughs> as, as a founder myself, and I know you are too, we get it. We, we really do. Uh, but patience is a virtue and it pays off in the long run. Uh, so how do you help folks identify whether or not, you know, working toward government sector jobs is the right fit for them?
1: Oh, man, you know, that's that's a great question. For me, you know, sometimes I tell people it's not for them, <laughs> you know, and I, I do an assessment and I talk to them and tell them, first of all, that, that patience piece. Then financially, because if you're talking about going to the government, you have to wait. That's because you got a million dollar contract. That's not your money. The government is going to tell you that you got to have a certain amount of people employed on this contract. They're going to tell you how much you have to pay the minimum. And when you're in the, well, the private sector, you don't have to do all of that. You can kind of do it how you see fit. But the government, mm-hmm. a lot of oversight, a lot of oversight. And um, you got to learn the game. And so if they're not ready to do that, I'll tell them that's probably not for you. And that's not the only people I work with, but that's my main thing. And, um, but I would tell people immediately, that's why a lot of people call me because they want to get into the government. But I say, no, I can probably help you make some money and tell you what to do and straighten up your company, but you got to, it's a system to do this thing. And if you're not prepared for it, I would tell you not to hurt yourself.
0: Right. Uh, I think it'd be helpful if you could give us a couple of of examples um, uh, of what you're talking about, because, I mean, you talked about being a photographer for the government space, right? Like something, I don't think anyone knew that that was a thing, (laughs) right? I don't think you were alone in that. So why don't you just give us a couple of examples of types of contracts that companies have won uh, working with the government?
1: Oh my God. So I start with myself. I shot, for every airport in the state of South Carolina and um, the Charlotte Airport and a couple of times for Atlanta Airport. Now, what do you mean shoot? Well, they have functions all the time where they're try, um, trying to get um, suppliers there. All those events, I'm shooting those events, all the offices, so DOT offices, I'm doing headshots for them, you know, documenting things. When, when the construction sites and things like that, you wanna bring drones out. You know all that those pictures you seeing on website when they're telling you, you know this is coming up that had, somebody took those photos or did that video, mm. and so we didn't think about that until I got put in in into that space. Well, for some of the people I've helped, I mean I have a right now I got a tortilla company here in Vegas. They just they have two you know plants in North Las Vegas where they make tortillas. That's it, and they sell them to the military, local government, schools, you know things of that nature. I have contracts to help people get, sell water, you know, a um, million dollars worth of water. You know, a oh. million dollars worth of bottled water. Um, we did a school contract where they wanted a ketchup packet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like the government buys everything. You know, the government buys yeah. everything. I, I work with roofing companies, you know, so we've done things with um, local fire departments from a, from the government space, to police department, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, I mean, the government buys everything. And yeah it's nothing except full hair care I''t I that's the only thing I don't see them I, I never saw the government purchase something like hair care but other than that this is not too many things that the government don't buy
0: wow wow uh so <clears throat> Um, one of the things I know, uh, and you've even mentioned this is that the government has programs that are there to help lift up and benefit disadvantaged businesses of all kinds, right? So mm-hmm. why don't you tell us because that those categories are way broader than I think most <laughs> people know. So tell us what types of, you know businesses would would qualify for contracts like that and uh, and and maybe even for those who don't, what they can do to partner up with others who may.
1: You asked an amazing question because that's exactly what what we try to you know, to convince people to do. Now, everybody that's not a heterosexual white male is a minority contract. So, everybody is for the most part can be a minority contract, and it is um, common practice. It's kind of um, frowned upon, but it's not particularly illegal. But um, people that might have a wife and say, "Hey, you go ahead and sign up," or they put their wife as the fifty-one percent owner other company and go ahead and get the minority status. Uh, they do that all the time. Again, it's kind of frowned upon, but I don't think it's illegal. Um, but I do encourage people to partner up. And not just if you don't qualify for minority contract as a minority contractor, but if you're having a hard time and you really need to get this business, you might want to partner with the person who's already in there.
0: Mm. And
1: you can go ahead and create that strategic alliance. So that you can um start making money and you don't you can probably um skip past getting certifications as well because if they already have the cert and they're the, the primary contractor, then you can just be a sub and the government allows um a lot uh, uh, an allotment of sub contractors underneath their um awards for you to be. So all they gotta do is let them know that you're a sub and you fit the criteria and the rest is history
0: got it got it got it and one of the places that i know folks can get caught up is kind of navigating the different layers of government so there's federal there's state there's local uh, how, how do you how do you recommend i mean obviously folks if they're at all interested just call jay halim like he's going to help you out. he's, <laughs> he's going to do that but how would you tell people to like where's the best place to start working in that environment
1: it just all depends on the company. So, like somebody is doing what I do, what I was, you know, as a photographer, when I started, I would say go local, because you a lot of times you're going to have a lot of work because they these are contracts that they don't need multiple bidders. You know, some local offices have enough have a credit card that they can spend up to twenty thousand dollars, so they can just cut you a check. You don't have to wait, you know. But you got to have the certification if they require it. Some offices don't, um, locally. But it's more and more now and they're starting to have these certifications and because it benefits them. And um, when they're getting this money and the quotas, they got to do the quotas. But I would tell somebody like that to start there locally. Mm-hmm. If you got 15 trucks, you know, and you're going up and down multiple states, I'm saying let's go federal. You know, let's, let's start federal. So I go off of what somebody's doing. Like got I it. talked about the, the tortilla company. They have things here. It makes it harder for them to go all over the place, So. But we have the federal government here, we have the military here, you have the local schools, and even some of the casinos in, in the Vegas area are getting in the uh, supply diversity space.
0: That's fantastic. That's fantastic. All right. So uh, I'm I'm actually I'm dying to know how you're going to answer this question. It's a question I ask every one of my guests, and uh, it tends to be my favorite part of the show. But uh, <clears throat> what would you say is the biggest secret that you wish wasn't a secret at all? What's that one thing that you wish everyone listening today knew?
1: You know, I think that the biggest secret that 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 wasn't a secret is not a secret, and that's that. Hard work pays off. (laughs) And reason why I say that is because now we live in a social media age and they're telling people that you could just do this one thing and you'll be rich or you can circumvent the system. And that's just not true. I was literally just in a dealership trying to um, working on getting another vehicle for my company. And we had a laugh because the, the guy said, hey, you have credit lines in your business. You have, um, you're done in Street set up. You have all your stuff together. He said, I have people come here all the time with just their LLC paperwork and say, I want a car without a personal guarantee. I said, well, I told the guy, I said, that comes off of the internet. I said, they heard too many people tell them that they can do it this way, you know? So they're telling people how to be self-employed, not actually be entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And it's a system to that. You can step out and work for yourself immediately. But to be an entrepreneur and actually run the business, that takes some doing, and that's hard work, and it does pay off, but it takes some time.
0: Yeah, that's so good. That actually leads us to uh, to your book, uh, your your more recent book, which is Business Corner: uh, What's Really Needed to to Survive the Entrepreneurial Fight. There it is. Uh, so, just give us a minute or two on why did you feel like it was you needed to write that book, and uh, who's it for, and what can they expect to get from it.
1: You know, there's a funny story behind that. I wrote a blog for about a year and a half straight, every week uh, called Business Corner. And it was talking to beginner entrepreneurs, just talking about being in that corner. That was my job to be in that corner. I threw all of that stuff out when it was time for me to write this book. (laughs) And I focused on the whole business of gamut from soup to nuts, from beginning the business to selling the company, because I realized that it's not one part of entrepreneurship where you don't need someone in your corner. And I likened it to a fight in a boxing match. And we've seen some amazing people fighting, but they never came to the corner. I mean, came to the ring alone. They always had somebody in the corner, even if they couldn't athletically perform like they was. They still, with people around, it still people around them that brought the best out of them, that made them feel like they can do it. And we, as entrepreneurs, truly, truly need that. Um, we don't have that uh, enough. That's why they say those numbers are staggering. Eighty percent of businesses fail in the first year. I'm sure that they don't have the support. And some of the things I put in the book, I said, you know, you tell your wife or your spouse, hey, we're starting this business. And that means if you're a real entrepreneur, that means next five years, she's not wearing a Louis Vuitton bag. Y'all not going on trips. Y'all not doing these things. And she might say, you're crazy. And then, you know, once the five years is over, you got $100,000 in the black and you're saying, hey, now we should be able to be okay. No, baby, we're going to put all this back into the business. Now you're divorced. (laughs) You know, so you got to have somebody around you that thinks like you or understand your level of thinking or your level of crazy to actually be able to be successful as an entrepreneur. And that's what I call being in somebody's business for me.
0: Yeah, that is so good. And I couldn't agree more. I love that you called it an entrepreneurial fight because this mystique and, you know, uh, just myth of you can be an entrepreneur and it's wonderful and you sit in your boxers on you know, the other seaside or something. I don't know what people are doing, but it's not true. And, and again, I, I want to pull this out because I don't know if folks caught it or not, but like... If you are an entrepreneur, if you're considering, if you're not married to an entrepreneur, right? But are thinking about it, like if you are married to an entrepreneur, you're an entrepreneur. Like it I is, bet, right? it, it does not stop when they come home. You know, it, it does not stop in the business bank account, and uh, and and that's that's one of the biggest challenges I think that you have as an entrepreneur is it's not just business, right? We, we even had someone on earlier, and and she just did a phenomenal job about talking about the personal journey of an entrepreneur. It's a very personal wow. personal journey for the entrepreneur's spouse as well. And yes. you're right. You've you got to be on the same page. You, you absolutely do. Uh, so I good. I love that. Uh, that's yeah, so good. I'd love to, uh, I'd love to ask you one more question and then uh, we can, uh, just make sure folks know how to reach you. Um, but I'm going to have you take off. I love that you're wearing a hat cause this works. So take off your, your coach consultant hat for a moment, <laughs> put on your CEO hat again for us, your entrepreneur hat and tell us what's the next stage of growth look like for you and your business and what challenges will you have to overcome to get there
1: wow, I'm in the middle of my next stage of growth. I literally just relocated to the Vegas area from South Carolina, which was, is a whole nother market, uh, a way bigger market. <laughs> you know, South where I was, had 150,000 people, maybe about 400,000 in the um, general area. We're at about three or 4 million <laughs> people in the area where I am. So um, I, I'm in the middle of that, getting acclimated to the area, mm-hmm. um, you know, everything costs a whole lot more. <laughs> you know, here I had a three thousand square foot space in South Carolina. I got about a thousand right now. I didn't know what I was what to expect exactly, but we're looking to grow um before the year is out, get back to where we were there and just, just go higher, go go further. I've made contracts in on the West Coast. I started working with other um doing B2B from the coaching space. So um started going and offering my coaching services to other companies that didn't have coaching, you know, they wasn't offering coaching. So it worked out. I have a contract with a company in San Diego that I've been, been working with over the last year, just renewed that contract. So it's a great look and we're working on other companies
0: as well. It's fantastic. Fantastic. All right. Uh, I know we've got folks listening. They're like, absolutely. I've never thought about this before, but why haven't I? You know, it's, it's you know, if the You of the government buys everything. I've got something. So how can they, uh, how can they find out more about you and what you do?
1: But to uh, me, jhalim.com, put jhalim in there on in your Google search, but go to jhalim.com. And you'll see my consultant firm, Jhalim LLC. I won't starve. That's the name of my first book, baby. And also my mantra and my movement. You just put in I won't starve, go to I won't starve.com and you'll see my nonprofit as well. I won't starve Academy, where we help minority business owners to get started. And we do some entrepreneurial training based off my second book, You Won't Starve Key Principles of Entrepreneurial Development. Because we believe that entrepreneurship is like going to the military. We can train you and make you into what but you got to get through basic training first.
0: (laughs) Got it.
1: (laughs) But yep, that's how you can find me.
0: Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It's just an absolute, absolute pleasure having you here. And for everyone listening today, your time and attention mean the world to us. I'm so glad you're here. I hope you got as much out of this show as I did. And I cannot wait to see you next time. Take care. Scott Ritzheimer here. Thank you so much for listening to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast. If you are a successful coach, consultant, or advisor who's built a strong book of business and would like to be on the program, please visit go.scalearchitects.com And if you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media and just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials? If you know someone who'd be a great guest, you can tag them on social media to let them know about the show. And make sure you include the hashtag high demand coaching. I love seeing your posts. I love seeing your guest suggestions. Thank you so much. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any of those episodes, go ahead and subscribe now. Your thumbs up, your ratings, your reviews, they go a long way to help us promote the show and they mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, you can go to our website, www.scalearchitects.com, or you can follow me or the company on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.